Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with instant reaction to WWE Backlash. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here just minutes after the 2023 edition of WWE Backlash concluded in Puerto Rico to break down everything that happened on WWE's first premium live event since WrestleMania. Silver King Adam Silverstein is here. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along for the ride momentarily as we break down every single thing that happened at Backlash and a lot of what went down on the Go Home Smackdown from Puerto Rico. Now, it would not be an edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast if we did not begin with a reminder that this show is all about Defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. You can also comment on our episodes on Spotify, and we'll read those on this show as well. Please also remember, I happen to love the number... Five. So head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Say thank you. Buy us a coffee. Buy us a beer. Buy us a meat for all these instant reaction shows that we do. Or become an official getting overhead with a subscription. You get bonus audio, news posts, and so much more. Once again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. And lastly, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, and so much more, including pre and post show polls around premium live events and pay-per-views, you vote, you contribute to the show, we read it later in the Instant Reaction episode, and you get live shows ahead of pay-per-views and premium live events on Twitter spaces. One more time, at Getting Overcast on Twitter. Now, this would not be an Instant Reaction episode of Getting Over if we did not kick it off in classic style by popping a cold one. And the Silver King tonight has a coffee lager from Copper Point Brewing in Boynton Beach, Florida, one of my favorite beers, not frequently canned. I do have it here. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. What do you have over there? I've got uh, more of the the Mark's Hard Lemonade I got for WrestleMania last month. Uh, Open that back up. I keep seeing it all over the places the WWE sponsor, and I saw it earlier today, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good time to pull this one back out. They're still pretty good. I don't love the slogan. Like, we need more mics or whatever that is. It's like, it doesn't speak to me. It, yeah, it is strange. How's it taste? I have no, I, I, it tastes good, but I haven't had the, I, I guess they're advertising the harder stuff. Right. Which I have not tried. Oh, your, your classic so Mike's perfect. Hard Lemonade from like, like mid 2000s, like high school. Yeah. You're, you're it's, drinking. It's, it's delicious. It's basically just tastes like lemonade with a little kick. I like it. Yeah. It's the old school one. Yeah. I haven't had that since I, uh, was legally allowed to drink. That's that's where I am. No offense to I you. I remember my dad. My dad used to get them up in Canada when I was a kid. When we'd go up to our place up there, so uh, still good. Yeah, still hard. All right. Well, this beer is delicious. Hello. I love coffee I beers. Shout out to Copper Point, my favorite active brewery locally to me. But we're not here to talk about beer. We're not here to talk about hard lemonade. We're here to talk about WWE backlash as we break it down instant reaction style. We're going to go through all seven matches on the show, equivalent segments from SmackDown that led into those. We'll discuss all of that as well. And we'll wrap up with a reminder of our pre-show expectation grades and the unveiling of our post-show grades for WWE Backlash 
on the way into Night of Champions. Chris, you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's get through it. Now, before we get to the match breakdowns, I wanted to talk about the intro to Backlash, which was very similar to the intro to SmackDown. It was incredibly cool. They had a drone camera from outside the stadium all the way through the concourse and into the arena itself. My thought on Friday was it looked and sounded like an Attitude Era crowd from Monday Night Raw at SmackDown. It was even louder and crazier on Saturday. No matter what you thought about the wrestling, the match results, whatever, I could not help but just be like internally truly happy for all of the fans that got to see two shows geared toward them. It's one thing to do a show internationally, to put it in Australia or England or wherever. It's another thing to book it in a way and present it in a way that it speaks to that international audience. And WWE, as far as I'm concerned, hit a grand slam home run presenting Puerto Rican wrestling to that community. It was extremely weird that Michael Cole, both at the opening of SmackDown and the pay-per-view, referred to it as a late-arriving crowd uh, while saying it's a sellout. I don't know why he said that. I didn't see any empty seats. It was on Friday. It was later for him to like, oh, it, sure. But I just he said it again at the pay per view, and I was like, why would you even say that? First of all, second of all, the, it looked full. Like it was an awesome crowd. What like what are you talking about? So that it was, was odd. It was definitely uh, odd. Yeah. Second, second, I love the drone thing where it comes into the stadium. I think it's awesome. The only problem is you got to get a higher quality video on there. It looked like it was like 1080p. Uh, when it was flying around. I don't know what the Wi-Fi. I mean, it was way worse than 1080p. Point, it was way worse than 1080p. It was. Like yeah, it was, it was uh, strangely yeah. not that great when it should be great. And WWE is usually really good at this stuff. But I like the idea. Like, I liked just doing that. And like you said, they really leaned into the just the Puerto Rico part of this. And the crowd was insane. We got a question on our uh, Twitter spaces pre-show ranking kind of the pops for Sammy in Canada, Drew in Wales and Bad Bunny in uh, Puerto Rico. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll answer that later, but man, this was up there. That crowd was awesome. It was, yeah. And let's not actually waste any time, Chris. Uh, now, normally, when we do these instant reaction podcasts, we start with the main event of the show and then work our way down the card based on match importance. I'm going to call an audible on this episode because Good. the main event of Backlash was the third to last match that we got. And I think everyone knew it. Everyone in the stadium, in the arena knew it. Everyone watching at home knew it. And yes, look, Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar main evented the show. And it was a worthy main event. I'm not saying it was not. But everyone there was in attendance to see Bad Bunny versus Damian Priest in a San Juan street fight. It is as simple as that. Now, there was some... Use of Bad Bunny on the Go Home SmackDown. We'll actually get more into that when we discuss the Rhea Ripley Zelina Vega match. But basically, Judgment Day was attacking the faces. Uh, LWO ran in with Bad Bunny. Uh, Bunny looked like an absolute badass on SmackDown. LWO yeah. took out a bunch of people. Priest stood there stoic like a final boss in a movie or a video game, just unbothered with what everyone else was doing. Bunny stood directly up to Priest. Dominic Mysterio tried to blindside attack him, but took a kendo stick from Bunny, who put the LWO shirt on to a massive pop as SmackDown ended. And it was just perfect execution, Chris. Um, 
Bunny was officially joining, I guess, LWO is the best way to put it. I have to imagine they sold like 100,000 shirts just from that yeah. moment right there. He also had a really sick WWF racing jacket that he wore to the ring and then threw into the crowd. Being a millionaire has got to be nice because <laughs> no way if I had that jacket would I ever give it away. Overall, it was a terrific main event go-home segment. We'll talk more about what that was again during the uh, Ripley-Vega match. But for Bunny to look the way he did here was awesome leading into Backlash itself. Yeah, that goes to show how big of a wrestling nerd Bad Bunny is like all of us to have a WWF racing jacket. He got the WWF logo on the Fox. He stuck it in. And I think you said it was cut. It was blurred out or something uh, on the uploads and the replays and stuff like that. So uh, that was awesome. He looked also when they walked out together, he looked bigger than everybody else in LWO. And I he think did. He might have been. It made him look awesome. He did. And I think awesome. he was. I, I do legitimately think he was. Now, before that, there was also like a pushing and shoving brawl at the Backlash press conference. But there really wasn't much to that. Backstage earlier Saturday night. Ray visited Bunny to put him over in Spanish, and then he brought in Savio frickin' Vega to the locker room, and he gifted Bunny a Puerto Rican flag kendo stick. Dude, I popped so hard for Savio. I haven't seen that dude in years. The crowd popped huge as well. Uh, apparently, he's been around MLW or was around MLW some of it. I don't know, but yeah, that was awesome. Again, they went all out for Puerto Rico on this show. And that's not even all of it right there. Yeah, we're, we're just getting started. So Priest uh, wore all white gear. He looked awesome. And it was like dripping in Puerto Rican flags, which was really cool. The pop for Bunny was so loud on his entrance, it broke the mics like the Sammy pop at Royal Rumble. The crowd sang his entire entrance theme as he wheeled in a shopping cart of weapons down to the ring. This was a direct homage to New Jack, who did something exactly the same uh, at least once in ECW. I thought, Chris, this was an all-time entrance from the song to the AR graphics, the visuals. If the match wasn't built hot enough already, this put it over the top before the bell even rang. Look, this is one of this is one of the greatest wrestling entrances of all time. Like it was insane. That song, I don't know if it's pronounced Chambia or Shambi or something like that. C H A M B E A. It's on YouTube. It's like five years old. The cover for the song is him and Ric Flair. Mm -hmm. So like it, this, like you said, the, the, I, I went back and rewatched that entrance like 10 times. Like I pulled up the clip on Twitter and just kept rewatching it. It was like ridiculous, man. Like and it was different than it was different than Drew and Sammy in their places because it was a song. It's like everybody singing it. It just gave it a completely different feel. This this is just incredible. This guy is like the biggest musician in the world. He headlined Coachella two weeks ago, and he's taking a shopping cart full of weapons down for a violent street fight because this dude just loves pro wrestling. It's it's amazing. It's Chambea, and it means to get to work. Just so you were, there you go. you're curious about what it was. And that's still my uh, high school Spanish coming through all these years later. Uh, so look, a lot happened here, and I got to break it all down. It's going to take a minute, but deal with it. Uh, Bunny hit a Mishinoku driver almost immediately. It slowed down quickly. The match did with Bunny taking a bell clap in South of Heaven. Priest pulled him up to prevent a three count. This is minutes into the match where Priest is basically like, I could have won, but I'm not going to. Then he grabbed but discarded an axe handle, only to get a chair thrown at his head. Priest ate a tornado DDT and the Bunny splash outside, plus a trash can lid bell clap and regular one. Then Bunny hit another driver or broken arrow. It was kind of a mixed move. 
Priest got a bloody nose and Benito drew a line in the ring. So the heel walked out and gave an up yours to the crowd, but he was baiting Bunny who got a trash can and only had it booted into his head. Then he ate more trash can shots and Priest used the Puerto Rico kendo stick, not Bunny. They actually fought into the crowd, which really surprised me given how big of a star Bunny is. Priest put Benito on a really tall road case and hit the broken arrow through three tables. Adam Pierce and Sean Davari ran out, but Priest carried Benito to the ring. He's like, he's not done because I'm not done with him. Bunny dodged Priest's roundhouse kick with his knee hitting the post. So Bunny attacked it with a kendo stick and a knee breaker. Priest yelled to the referee that his knee was not okay. So he was selling the injury, not only physically, but audibly. As Bunny wrapped the knee around the post three different times, once with a chain, and Priest kept begging him to stop. Then he drilled the knee with a steel chair. Priest again begged, apologized, and pleaded. So Bunny bent down, and Priest just booted him right in the face, and then started hopping on one leg. Bunny came back with a blatant legal low blow that led Judgment Day down to attack. Corey Graves had an incredible line that Kendall Jenner is about to be on the market because Bunny's not going to be alive after the match. Uh, Ray Mysterio first uh, failed making the save before Carlito's music hit to, I can only describe it as a Stone Cold Steve Austin level pop. That's how loud this crowd (laughs) got for Carlito. And that is not an exaggeration. He got the backstabber on Finn Balor, then did the Apple gimmick. Dom ate a 619 from Ray and then Carlito spit the apple in his face. Then... As Balor and Dom are trying to like walk to the back because uh, everyone, uh, Carlito and Ray are like pushing them there. All of a sudden, Savio Vega comes out and the crowd goes wild. And then there's a pause and the LWO comes out and the crowd goes wild. And now the heels are at a six on two disadvantage. Savio got three chops on Balor plus his big kick. I think it was called TNT to a massive pop. Dom got the chops also. Bunny would have gotten caught blind by a roundhouse kick coming out of this, but Priest's knee gave out. Bunny came back with a figure four leg lock as Priest screamed, taking a two count. He stopped himself from tapping twice and pulled Bunny up for South of Heaven, but Bunny countered that into a pin attempt. Then Bunny dodged Priest into a chair on the middle turnbuckle, coming back with sliced bread for a false finish. And on that move, he legit landed on his head. He looked like Kota Ibushi doing that move, but somehow he kept going. He was okay. Then Bunny beat the shit out of Priest with a chair and finished with a Canadian destroyer for the uno, dos, tres in 25 minutes. There was a huge post-match celebration with the Puerto Rican flag and everyone that I mentioned wearing LWO shirts. LWO then hoisted Bunny on their shoulders as he hugged the flag and the celebration continued into the break. All right, that was a lot. It was excellent. No qualifier, just Excellent. Standing ovation. Standing ovation. Outstandingly fun. Extremely well wrestled by a celebrity. Now, this definitely went a little bit longer than planned, no question, but the booking was exactly as it should have been. Priest's ego costing him the easy win, Bunny taking the vast majority of the punishment and selling it well, and then an untimely injury giving Bunny the opening to win with a heavy utilization of weapons. Priest's profile got massively elevated, even in defeat. Bunny was impressive once again. He's maybe second as a celebrity wrestler, only to Logan Paul. And getting not only Savio, but Carlito just put this even further over the top than it already was. A grade is so tough here. For a Puerto Rican fan, I am sure it was a five-star segment. In reality, because I'm grading the match and the storytelling more than 
the atmosphere. I'm going to go 4.25 stars A because it did drag in some parts, including the finish. And obviously, Bunny's ceiling is only so high in the ring. I didn't even need to see the last match on the show, Chris, to know that this should have been the main event. This was five stars. Just absolute blast. The wrestling was a lot better than than you would have thought. Bad Bunny. Like, this dude's wrestled twice mm-hmm. you had a tag match a couple of years ago and showed up in a royal rumble like yeah and and obviously a lot of stuff happened around the match but a good chunk of that was just one-on-one and he just totally looked like he belonged he sells great he takes bumps he looks a little smaller so it's hard to you know the, the offense doesn't maybe look as good but this was just unbelievable man this is everything you like about pro wrestling all wrapped into one i just i we we we, we sat on the Twitter Spaces pre-show, like this has to be the main event, right? And mm-hmm. we, we weren't sure. And I said, if it's not the main event, then I think Priest is going to win. Just that's I, I guess the only way I could think of it. And and when that ended, I, I, I stood up and clapped for the amazing show that was it was. But then I was furious that this <laughs> was not the main event of the show. What the hell, hell was this not the main event? Did Brock Lesnar like demand he be the main event of the show or something like that? It's just two pay-per-views in a row he can't be the main i i don't know man it's just ridiculous how that happened but this was everything you could have possibly imagined mm-hmm. this is going to be up for match of the year for me wow this is going to be one of the this is going to be one of the most enjoyable things we get all year from the entrance to the pops to the surprises to to to, to the uh, throwing them off the thing out of the table. It's just, this had absolutely everything I love, man. This was an absolute blast. I'm going to rewatch this match like five times over the next week. Just awesome. Do you I think can't say enough good things? I know it's arbitrary when we say match of the year, match grades, ratings, all that types. It's all arbitrary. It's our opinion. Other people have different opinions, but don't you think there's a difference between match of the year and like moment of the year segment of the year? Because this was a five-star moment. No question. But when you're grading a match and you're talking about the ring work, it wasn't a five-star match. It just wasn't. Like, to me, there's a difference between the two. Look, look, my match of the year last year was Roman versus Drew in Wales. Like, to, to to me, just the crowd and the environment and everything and the reaction is the whole point of this wrestling thing. Like, I'm okay. just not a fan of the... New, J- June J- New Japan style. We do a bunch of moves. Of course, yeah. You know, crowd claps for certain things. It's just it takes me out of it. But what I'm saying, the crowd when- adds to it, and I know, and I know that's like that shifts the view of what the actual work is. But to me, that's the whole point of all of this. So well, that's just I, we, you and I just kind of look at that differently. Well, I don't know that we do because I, I agree with that too. For me, it's match quality, it's ring work, it's work rate, storyline. It all has to have all those elements have to be there. But if I'm going to give a match, match of the year, if I'm going to say it's a match of the year or a five-star match or whatever the hell, again, all arbitrary stuff we're talking about here. But if I'm going to do that, the wrestling has to be top tier. And the wrestling here just wasn't. I mean, it was a fantastic moment, a great 25 minutes of professional wrestling. But again, when I'm talking match of the year, you know, this doesn't hold a candle to many of the matches we've already seen this year. But again, for a segment, for a moment, you, you can't even find a flaw. It was nearly perfect. Yeah, I, I have one nitpick. Not about the match. Other than it not being the main event. <laughs> that is a nitpick. Yeah. Uh, well, no, and, this, and that is the LWO shirt. And it's the way the blue is on the left oh, side. Oh, this of is going to be ridiculous. Is. Okay. 
The flag of Puerto Rico, the blue goes up in a point. It doesn't go straight across Correct. like the flag of Texas. Correct. And there's just there's too much blue on the top and the bottom of the shirt. I think that needed. It's just I'm a flag guy. We've talked about flags on this podcast. Was it vexology? True to the Puerto Rican flag. You're a vexologist. Is that what it's called? What's that? Is it a vexologist? A per- no person idea. who likes flag? Google it while I'm talking. I have no idea what that is. I bet you I that's what it is. Um, uh, well, so I'm the, I, you Google, it. but yeah, I just that, <laughs> I just wanted if we don't see Puerto Rico LWO again, I would just I had that in my notes. I wanted to get it out that like they did it um, almost. Like a little bit more like the Mexican flag. I tell you to Google because I'm the one running the show. I have the soundboard, the notes. It takes I a lot here. I was busy talking. <laughs> I know, but I thought I got the vocab ve- word for you. Ve- um, vex, vex, vexilo- vexillology. Okay, whatever. Close enough. All right. Um, but I do agree. Yeah, no, I actually do agree with you because it's a rectangular logo. So it actually should yeah. be a triangular blue and the star should be there too. There should be a white some white elements in there. I agree it should look more like the flag. Is it the end of the world? No. Am I kind of surprised you actually brought it up on the Instant Reaction podcast? Yes. Uh, two other notes on this match. The song Bunny came out to, uh, it was one of his first major hits as an artist. In the music video, Ric Flair makes a cameo, which played into the figure four submission part of the finish. It's one of the reasons all that happened. Also, one of the best moves that WWE has made recently, and we've said this before, is making sure the celebrities who get involved in their product actually want to give their full faith and effort. Yeah, they're getting a ton of money. They are. They're getting paid handsomely. But Bunny, Logan Paul, and Pat McAfee, these guys are going all out, and it makes their appearances so much better, and I actually think it's turning some of those hardcore fans who hate to see celebrities involved, I think it's turning them the other way too because these matches are, I mean, the Roman Reigns-Logan Paul match was brilliant. This one was fantastic. It is really tough to hate celebrities getting involved in wrestling when you have celebrities with the prestige, name value, following, athleticism, ability, and want to of Bad Bunny and Logan Paul and Pat McAfee. Is it fair? To, is is it fair to say those are the three best celebrity wrestlers of all time? Like they're better than David Arquette. They're, they're better really than good. Lawrence Thomas. They're they're better than Booker. Uh, Mister T. Who? Like uh, who was like the football player? Th- you said Miss uh, Lawrence Thomas. Nope. Nope. Try again. LT. Try again. Lawrence Lawrence Taylor. Thank Sorry. you. Lawrence Thomas is a Michigan State. <laughs> has a Michigan State player. I got it mixed up in my head. Um, is, and, and like all three of them and they're all there at like the same time it's wild like, I, I, I know i it's 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 it, wb like i understand why fans for years hated the celebrity stuff because wb would go out of its way to just like be, beg these celebrities to just come and like have their presence and like not even like the highest level celebrities like snooki and, mm, and she's pretty Marino, big she's great but like but, she's not yeah. like that big of a celebrity and and like mike you had mike tyson that was that was a big one for sure but he wasn't a wrestler you know he was an enforcer but, you know he didn't he didn't wrestle like he, yeah he didn't wrestle you got the biggest musician in the world maybe the big one of the biggest social media stars in the world and and maybe the biggest sports media celebrity in the world right now in pat mcafee like these people are like the biggest in their fields and they're all about doing pro wrestling and they're doing it well. Yeah. This is WWE's just coming to a gold mine here with this. And I, I love it because you respect that they love what they're doing again. Bad bunny is again, he was headlining Coachella and he's here to throw his body on the line 
with Damian Priest because he just loves to do pro wrestling. Just remarkable. Bad Bunny headlined Coachella twice, then wore a backless outfit to the Met Gala and looked incredible and, and drew rave reviews over there. And then basically main evented a WWE premium live event in his home country, all inside of 16 days. It's absolutely freaking wild. And by the way, the only celebrity who compares, in my opinion, to the three that you mentioned is Floyd Mayweather. And he didn't come anywhere near these guys in the ring. It's just the height of his celebrity and the prominence in his field getting into a WWE ring. Floyd was massive and is massive still as a boxing star. And he went toe-to-toe with the big show in what was a very good, at the time, celebrity match that has now been completely eclipsed by everything we've gotten from Bad Bunny, Logan Paul, and Pat McAfee. So credit to those let guys. Me, let me, uh, and credit to this match. Go ahead. Let me ask you this. Would you be up for a Bad Bunny versus Logan Paul match? Absolutely. Me too. At WrestleMania. And honestly, I could... Yeah, like... You could like. Does that have to main event? I think no. I think I think it would have to be a tag team match. You'd have to do a tag team match. Yeah, you would want it. You would want it to be a tag team match. I also kept thinking, you know, Wale is obviously a huge wrestling fan. He's not in the ring or anything like that. But if you could get like Bad Bunny versus Wale and dude, I love I love Wale. I do, but his celebrity is nowhere near Bad Bunny or Logan Paul right now. No, not in twenty twenty three. Two big music stars, not at the same level, but just that would just take over the music industry if you did that. That'd just I don't know. I'm yeah. just thinking of possibilities of I'm I'm fantasy booking Bad Bunny matches here. That's how fun this was. It's unbelievable. All right, we had a lot of fun talking Bad Bunny. We have six more matches to get to on the show, along with some of the stuff that happened on SmackDown, Chris. So let's move on to the actual main event of WWE Backlash: Cody Rhodes against Brock Lesnar on SmackDown. Cody got an insane reaction with the crowd singing his entire song, not just the woe part. He cut a promo referring to Brock as a gatekeeper and finally, finally noted how Lesnar has not explained the reasoning for his attack. I think it was five weeks ago at this point. But Cody promised to beat a reason out of him at Backlash. Thank you! Rhodes got a wildly pumped up crowd going by saying Backlash will be a fair fight He'll get back on the road to finishing the story and claiming his kingdom, all starting by defeating Lesnar. And first, I hope you guys like the new sound drop. Second, this was a freaking intense promo. I've said for weeks I was not overly hyped about this match because of a lacking storyline. But I will be honest, this promo from Cody got me really freaking close. Cody is so damn good on the mic. You've said it to me, getting people in the building. It was perfectly hot and concise and a great go-home moment for a match that had no storyline reasoning other than an attack five weeks ago. Yep, he'll talk into the building every time with that passion. He just he does promos in the type of way that sell that you want to see him. He's done it before. It's a lot of the same cadence. You know, he did a lot of this feud basically by himself for for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but his great job got me got me more a lot more excited for the match than I had been. All right, so at Backlash, Rhodes' pop was obviously massive. Lesnar got an enormous one as well. As he kind of paraded around the ring like stalking Cody, Cody hit him blind with a tope suicida. He rammed steel steps into his head thrice and landed chair shots on Lesnar all before the bell. So the bell finally rings. Rhodes hits two disaster kicks, but Lesnar counters Cody Cutter into a catch German suplex. Lesnar caught him flying again for a huge fallaway slam. 
After a suplex city chance from the crowd, Brock hit four Germans, two verticals, and I think it was like a Saito suplex, as Cody grabbed and kayfabe accidentally exposed a turnbuckle. Rhodes dodged Lesnar later into the turnbuckle, and Lesnar immediately took a hard way right between his eyebrows. Cody quickly hit a diamond cutter and a disaster kick. Then he wiped the blood on his stomach and hit a Cody cutter. He added two crossroads and got a 2.9 false finish. Lesnar countered a third crossroads attempt into an F5 for a false finish the other way. Brock immediately went into a Kimura lock with Cody nearly tapping until he countered into like a seat belt leverage style pinning combination por el uno, dos, tres in nueve minutos. Lesnar sat shell-shocked while watching Cody celebrate, walk to the back, and backlash went off the air. This somehow felt like a 20-minute match contained in half that time. And yes, that includes like the pre-match beating. I spent a little time kind of after the bell trying to find a flaw with this. I just couldn't. Lesnar looked incredibly strong, not only surviving a shit ton of offense and multiple finishers, but also what seemed in, you know, kayfabe to be an unplanned, like, crimson mask, only losing because of a submission counter. Great protection for a loser heel, while simultaneously doing a terrific job putting over a baby face clean in a really smart finish for that person to get over a guy that is their physical superior. Let me also say, this was the perfect example, Chris, of why constant excessive blading dulls viewers' sensibilities to blood and makes it feel monotonous and repetitive. When it is rare, sporadic, and purposeful, look what they accomplished and how intense this felt over the closing couple of minutes of this match. Don't get it twisted. This was planned. Lesnar launched his head into the exposed part of the turnbuckle, and it was probably sharper than usual to make sure he bled. It was incredible in the moment. It aided Lesnar's loss. Again, rare, sporadic, purposeful, and impactful. I went four stars A- minus overall. I might go higher on a rewatch. I really liked this damn match. Strong booking from start to finish. And I was thrilled to be wrong about the match booking here, Chris. We talked about how I thought it was going to be a low blow. The referee might or might not catch it, which would be a Cody DQ win or a Lesnar you know, cheating victory. I- I'm thrilled to be wrong. I loved what they gave us. You had a good tweet uh, after the show of of Mox, uh, it was a uh, you said Moxley seeing what Brock Lesnar did, knowing that he has a steel cage match on Wednesday, and it was Roman just like seething. <laughs> <laughs> Mox is going to probably bleed in that match, and but you're right, like he bleeds so much it means nothing. What what this felt like to me, what this called back to me was Cody versus Dustin when Dustin was bleeding like crazy, and Cody had it all over him in, in that first match they did back in AEW, which meant something. You remember that bleeding because it wasn't something that happened all the time. This was a really good match, but to me, not a very fun match. And it just, it it was, it was, I think the best you could get out of these guys, but it was just, you know, you had the quick start. Cody does this thing. Then Brock dominates. We, you know, we've seen that before with Brock matches. And and for a while there, when Brock's doing all the suplexes, I thought, all right, we are going to get the, the John Cena, you know, gets destroyed and Cody has to build his way back up type of thing, which I which I thought was a good story. But then, you know, the 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 he bleeds. It reminds me of WrestleMania 31 when he did that for Roman. And that's when the energy really picks up. And then Cody just kind of wins out of nowhere. 
and the crowd was it was not a big reaction because it was kind of a surprise win and i was like oh okay well cool that works i i guess one this shouldn't have been the main event as good as good as it was especially with that kind of finish and number two um I guess we're done with Cody Brock now. Oh no! Unless Brock does something, no. Unless Brock comes back out to beat him up again, but like Cody got everything he needed, and in theory, Cody should be now. I guess you have the. I guess you have the World Heavyweight Tournament coming up, but I, I don't know. Like it felt like again, John Cena lost to The Rock at WrestleMania twenty seven, twenty eight in Miami. And then, and then Brock Lesnar showed up, returned the next day on Raw, and then Cena beat him at Extreme Rules at the next pay-per-view. And that was used later on as Cena building his way back to beat The Rock up the next year. So I'm guessing it's not done, but I don't know. I didn't love the booking. Well, let's... But the match was really well... The match was really well done by both those guys. I'd give it four stars and all that. It's just not something I'm going to really go back and rewatch until Brock... Until the moment Brock gets cut. Well, let's address two different points you made that I think are worth expanding on. I was prepared for Lesnar to beat Cody. And not just prepared going into the match. As the match progressed and we saw the way it was unfolding, how many times have we seen matches like that with Brock Lesnar? Where like, oh, Lesnar's, he looks like he's about to lose. Okay, I'm just waiting for the moment where the face screws up or Lesnar just overpowers them, hits F5, maybe hits two and gets the win. That is what WWE and Vince McMahon's booking for like a decade and a half have done to me as a wrestling fan, where I was just sitting there waiting for Lesnar to get the win. And when he put the Kimura on, I was like, oh, okay. So that way, maybe in my, in my mind in the moment, as I'm watching, I'm like, Lesnar's going to break his arm. That gives him an excuse to not be in the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament. Lesnar gets the win. Mm-hmm. Cody comes back, fights him at SummerSlam. I'm booking this in my head. I have notes ready for the show in my head. I'm like, this is what's going to happen. And then Cody flips over and gets the one, two, three, and it was a, a surprising win. I loved it. I don't think that was bad booking at all. Now, to each their own, if you didn't like it, you know, that's okay. But I think the suddenness of the win what brings me into my next point, which is that I fully expect this to continue with another attack Monday night on Raw. And that's going to be fine. If this moves over to Night of Champions, the attack could happen early in the show and eliminate Cody from one of the World Heavyweight Championship uh, quarterfinal matches, the Triple Threats, or it could literally happen during one of those matches, physically removing him from the match and contention. I'm almost positive it's going to happen. For me, it makes way too much sense. They might even go three matches and do a rubber match at SummerSlam. I think Lesnar in kayfabe, Chris, has to be incensed, wanting revenge. And again, we still don't know the reasoning for his initial attack. I think there's no way he lets this go. Again, in case. Well, now the reason, now the reasoning for his initial attack doesn't matter. Like he's got a new <laughs> reason now. So we're never right. going to get an answer as to why this started, I don't think. But you're right. It, I, it has to happen. It, he has to cost Cody in the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament because Cody has to, to be in that tournament mm-hmm. for the legitimacy of the tournament for the legitimacy of the belt we're all we're, we've all picked seth rollins to win it but if cody's just not in it because he's fighting brock then you're immediately like well seth didn't beat cody this doesn't really count so they're gonna have to thread this needle here where if brock costs cody in the tournament and then they fight at night of champions or something 
it, it's got to be. In, and I, th- that might be why they turned the tournament into Raw and SmackDown instead of just Raw, even though it's going to be a Raw belt, because we're not going to get Seth and Cody in the final of that. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that's why they tweaked the tournament or, or something like that. So um, you're right. It's probably going to happen. We'll, we'll probably get it. Brock will win, and then we'll get another one, mm-hmm. I guess, at SummerSlam, which, fine. I mean, I'll be there. Obviously. Or maybe even Money in the Bank. Fine. It's possible it happens at Money in the Bank, too. Yeah, so, like, we'll see. Like, that all makes sense. I just, like, I worry. It's just, it feels just unnecessary. I I, I don't know. Do, doing the tournament, to me, it always just it made the most sense to have Seth beat Cody for the belt in the final of the tournament. Why would you have that Cody take another complete. loss, though, in that way? Like, and why would you, you have, and why would you put Cody in a situation, and why would you have him, why would you put him in a situation where he's contending for the title that he doesn't actually want? Which then... Because he's on Raw, and it's the Raw world title. Yeah, I think people are really... I mean, this is really a conversation we probably need to have on Tuesday show because it's going to be a longer one. But I saw a lot of criticism for the fact that for a world title in WWE, there's people on SmackDown competing for it. The title is a Raw title. That doesn't mean the cha- the first champion has to come from Raw. What it means is the title and that champion have to stay on Raw after the fact. Very simple. Yeah, but that's... That... They've added these things after the fact. We'll get it. We'll get into it more when the tournament starts. Yeah, we'll, just, we'll talk about it Tuesday. There, there's, it just I was, you know, I I didn't think I didn't think this match accomplished much. It was a great match. I don't know how you I don't say think that. It really accomplished much, and it's just pushing us forward to the next one. And we'll and. We'll but how do you think it doesn't accomplish anything? How do you th- how do you think it doesn't accomplish anything when Cody lost the main event of WrestleMania to Roman Reigns, and on the very next premium live event beat the, the number two guy in the company, Brock Lesnar, to gain back Cody's any steam co- he might have lost. He could have beat anybody. He's the number two guy in the company. Everybody, he's fine. He's so Lesnar's number three. Are we splitting hairs here? I mean, what are I'm we talking saying, about? I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, Cody beat Brock Lesnar, holy crap, is not, like, it's not the reaction I think people got. No, he skated, he skated by, by the skin of his teeth. That's the booking. Yeah. That's the whole point. That's what they're trying to say. Because it's not the only match. That's exactly, the, the point is going to be, the third, Brock if they Lesnar get to it. Also, Go ahead. Brock Lesnar should also be in that tournament, if we're being honest. Since he can't fight Roman for the other belt. I know he's a free agent. I'm curious if he'll be in it, too. Let's well, see. that is exactly why him taking Cody out of it makes all the sense in the world. He keeps them both away from it on Monday night. Maybe, but again, I think they both need to be in the tournament to legitimize the tournament. So. Yeah, I don't think that's the case. That's, I, I, Yeah, I don't see that at all. Sorry. We just disagree. All right, let's go to the uh, third, I guess. It wasn't really a main event, but it was between the two main events on the show. Uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and Matt Riddle against the Bloodline on SmackDown. Solo Sokoa stoically wrapped his thumb backstage as the Usos got hyped for Saturday's match. When he didn't answer them, they tried to like get him going. Jay got in his face. Solo said he'll do his part, and he knows that they better do theirs as well or there's going to be trouble. Riddle later said there's more bloodline tension than on succession. And I, I thought it was funny he said this line, Chris, because I don't think in kayfabe or reality, Riddle is watching succession. No, not at all. Okay. <laughs> and he also said he's ready to tear them apart. Uh, KO and Sammy propped him up, but said they had nothing left to say to the bloodline. They just wanted to fight. This to me was a purposeful uh, interaction to create tension between the brothers and I liked the way that KO and Sammy responded to Riddle because it makes me believe, and we'll talk about the match in 10 seconds, that they're part of the story 
ends given their move to Raw and what happened in this match. Yeah, they, they, they made it very clear leading into and during the match that like Kevin and Sammy are done with the bloodline. Right. They, 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 they won their titles. They wanted to create dissension in the ranks. And they've essentially, you know, we're in the process of doing that. Right. So this was the penultimate match of the show, like I said, right between the two main events. The Usos spent the early portion showing Sokoa how to work together. Jay threw KO backwards into the spikes of the steel steps. Riddle got a massive hot tag with a ton of Brotons and a springboard floating bro outside into the entire bloodline. Then he hopped to the top rope for an avalanche toss suplex on Jimmy, which KO followed with a swanton bomb. Owens then dodged a super kick, as I believe it was Jimmy, uh, super kicked Jay accidentally. Uh, Owens followed with a pop-up powerbomb for a near fall. KO and Jay exchanged really snug super kicks to the face. Sammy got the blue thunderbomb on Jimmy, but ate a double super kick when he flew off the top rope. Jay screamed at Sammy for trying to break up his family. Solo then blind tagged himself in, only for Jay to get pissed off and tag himself back in. Zayn ran in with a haluva kick. Jay dodged it and it hit Solo and knocked him off the apron. Jay then ate an exploder suplex in the corner and the haluva kick, but Sokoa broke the fall for his brother. Solo turned towards Jay instead of Sammy, only to get caught. Jimmy ate a stunner, but Sokoa caught KO with a Samoan spike. Then Jay came up from behind him, and Sokoa grabbed Jay by the neck, nearly hitting him with the spike. Jay yelled in his face that, we're brothers, he's not, he referring to Roman Reigns. Sammy got knees up on an Uso splash before Riddle tagged in. Riddle hit Jay with a final flash knee and bro Derek, but Sokoa had tagged in blind during the sequence, hitting the Samoan spike on Riddle por el uno, dos, tres in 22 minutos. I know 22 is what, 22, uh, whatever. I'm not great at Spanish. Uh, Jimmy celebrated, the, the gimmick's not really working that well. Jimmy celebrated and also played Peacemaker after the bell. Now I love me an intricate match story, Chris. This was exactly what we got here. And it took this from an entertaining six man in terms of the wrestling into something that had a much larger, longer term impact and significance. As predicted, Riddle taking the fall allows KO and Sammy to move on while the story focuses on all the internal bloodline strife. That means KO and Sammy were ultimately successful in creating like a lasting rift in that family dynamic. Mm -hmm. We talked about this on the Ultimate Preview. There has been so little focus on Sokoa actually being the Usos' younger brother that it's been frustrating. Well, boom, a few days later, here we go. Jay screaming that he's their brother and not Romans was perfect. The near spike, the swerves and the finish, expertly booked and executed with the right story and the right winners. And it was damn fine bell to bell as well. It wasn't the most exciting match. In fact, you could maybe say it was the least exciting match on the entire show, but the wrestling was great. The storytelling was great. I went 4.25 stars in an A for a six man, which for me is a really high grade. Perfectly fine match with a great, great story. Like you said, Solo continues to shine. Also, like you said, they're emphasizing that Solo is their brother, mm -hmm. not Roman. You know, Roman We've been talking about Solo. this. We they they keep the, we haven't seen the the Usos and Solo should be so close now mm -hmm. I know they're much older and Solo has said they didn't totally kind of grow up doing the same things together but like tell that story next you know like go go into that from 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 there I'm like there's just again a world of possibility you can do with this bloodline storyline and it makes sense to to keep the bloodline together so you can tell this story now like and, and Roman's gonna come back 
maybe this week at some point and kind of have to get things in order once again. Solo continues to shine in different ways. When so, when, when Solo grabbed um, Jay to give him the spike and he's screaming and Jay's like, do it. I think he said basically it was like, do it. Man, that was freaking, that's again, that's cinema. That's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff we, that's the level of story we were getting from Sammy and KO and these guys for the last three months. Like that is deep stuff, man. I am really, really excited to see where this goes next. Really, really good stuff. And Chris, that's why I roll my eyes at all the hand wringing of like, you know, you get two weeks after a premium live event where Roman Reigns takes a break from TV and there's a certain portion of the IWC that's just like, oh, I'm so done with this storyline. It's boring. It's the same stuff. You know, how long is this Tyler ring going to last? It's, it's, it's missionary position. Yeah, right. Every single night, the same thing. It's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. And then you let it breathe for just a little bit, a couple more weeks, and you get, as you so eloquently put it, Chris, cinema. It's a long-term storyline. It's going to have peaks and valleys. And yes, those valleys are frequently going to come when Roman Reigns is not involved and not on the TV. But then what happens? They hit a peak, he returns, and it keeps peaking. And it keeps going up until he takes his next break. This is what the storyline is. This is what it has been for the last, what, three years at this point. It's crazy. It is the longest term storyline that I actually think WWE has ever told consecutively. I've already called it the greatest storyline of all time, though, of course, I thought it was going to end at WrestleMania and it didn't. But Chris, this is why I roll my eyes when people say all this stuff about the bloodline, because all it takes is one week and you're right back in the thick of things. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, look, it, 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 maybe it wasn't great for a few weeks. That's fine. Roman, you know, Roman was the focus of the story when he was back. It's going to take time to build into something else. Kevin Owens and Sammy were floating around with the Usos, even though that had kind of had been resolved. Mm-hmm. Took a couple weeks to get us back into the new story. And now they're going their separate ways. And like I said, Sammy and KO were successful in their mission. They, they became friends again. They took the, they ended the longest tag team reign of all time and they leave having left a lot of dissension within the ranks of the bloodline. And now they go off to raw to do whatever at closes the book on the Sami Zayn bloodline story from last year, almost, almost a full calendar year. Exactly. And that subset of the story, a masterpiece. And now we move on to a new one. Also known as a chapter, but <laughs> yes, that chapter is officially chapter. <laughs> that is officially closed. All right, let's move to the SmackDown Women's Championship. Rhea Ripley against Zelina Vega on SmackDown. LWO opened the show with Judgment Day, Sans, Damian Priest interrupting. Rey Mysterio cut a promo, and the fans were on fire for Zelina. Dominic ripped a planted fan's LWO shirt. Rey challenged Dom to a WrestleMania rematch. Rhea stepped to him, and the challenge was left as a mixed tag. Then Dom sneakily slapped Rey before running off. 90% of the segment was in Spanish, and the crowd popped huge for everything that was said. I know English-speaking fans wish they knew exactly what was said, but the entire point, and I've I said this earlier, was to present a segment and a show that the locals felt was for them, and their reaction was amazing. And even though you didn't know every single word that was said, you got a really good idea about what that segment was about. You 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 knew exactly what that segment was about without understanding almost any words, and it's because the crowd told you the story. 
the crowd was so into it. You you knew when someone was delivering an insult, when someone was saying mm-hmm. something bad, something good. You could completely follow that without understanding a single word of it. I love when wrestlers break out foreign languages for certain things. Kevin Owens broke out. I remember Kevin Owens breaking out French when he was doing a promo with John Cena and Cena responded in Mandarin, I think, or something like that. I just, I love that stuff because it reminds us that these are people. They're not just like brands that they give us. They're people who have come from different cultures, no different languages. It just adds a layer to them as people. And so like you could have done subtitles or not. I liked the way it went. It felt like, oh man, something cool is going on and I'm on the outside of it. I want to be in, I want to know what they're saying. Not just it's not just what they said, it's wanting to know what they said. So I, I just I think that added another level. I did in one part, I think it uh, I hear somebody from the LWO the, the, the word pantalones and mommy were said. So I'm yeah, I got sure the vocab. Rhea Ripley wears <laughs> Rhea Ripley wears the pants in the relationship or something like that was was one of the, that was about the only thing I picked up. That's what's great about taking like for me, lower school, middle school, and high school Spanish, and then never speaking it yeah. despite living in South Florida. You know the vocab. You just can't put it all together, especially when it's spoken very fast, which uh, Spanish is frequently spoken at a very fast pace. Uh, but nevertheless, it was a great segment. Led us to Ray and Zelina against Rhea and Dom. Zelina got her Karanas on Rhea and Dom only to get her head booted off by Ripley when she went for a 619 on Dom. Vega also hit a crucifix bomb. Ripley did the Eddie Guerrero shake before Vega countered a power bomb into a jawbreaker. Then she dodged Ripley into the post. Ray hit a 619 on Dom. Finn Balor distracted and Dom hit two amigos before Ray hooked his legs on the third for the sudden win. After this was everything I mentioned with Judgment Day, LWO, and Bad Bunny, but it was great to see Zelina and Ray in a featured spot. It made sense for Ray to beat Dom, and he did it with a leg hook, which, you know, isn't like a super clean, you know, second one, two, three of Ray over Dom, but it wouldn't have made any sense for any other combination to end this match. So I thought it was a great main event. The Bad Bunny stuff at the end, put it over the top, and it just set the tone for a fantastic weekend and what clearly we are going to be praising as a damn good backlash show. What I took away from this tag match was that I realized just how good Dom is at taking Ray's moves. Mm-hmm. There was one where, where he did the springboard turnaround, uh, you know, cross body and, and Dominic moved over to slide under it the right way. He took, he took the, the hurricane run into the ropes of the six one nine, like a perfect way. Like you could see how, how, just how much they've worked together. Certainly with him growing up, it really stood out there. And the other thing is uh, Wade Barrett was really good on commentary. He made a comment that Zelina Vega was basically dressed like a certain anime character who who dies in the story. And he says, that's exactly what Rhea Ripley's going to do to her on Saturday, which popped me. So shout out to Wade Barrett. So finally moving over to backlash, uh, Zelina got a straight up insane pop. She came out with a really sick Puerto Rican flag like cape and ring gear her entire family was ringside michael cole shouted out her father who died in 9 11 she was so emotional that she tried and failed to hold back tears before the bell it was quite a moment like extraordinarily special for vega but also the puerto rican crowd which gave her a huge boricua chant uh before the bell i didn't know exactly what they were singing or what the chant was but obviously i know boricua i listened to Plenty of big Punisher uh, from back in the day. Also Los Bariquas, obviously. And Ripley also looked great in all white. But for Zelina, with a tear in my eye, it brought a tear to my eye. It honestly did. Yep. And and 
Rhea in white uh, had me saying, hey now. It look good, but she's got me saying, hey now. It's such a good color for heels. And obviously the match after this was Damien Priest doing the same thing. Right. Um, so, yeah, that was an awesome moment. The whole flag and the whole thing like Bad Bunny was a celebration kind of of Bad Bunny, so to speak. Like Zelina's was a direct for just all of Puerto Rico with yeah. the flag, everyone, and everything like that. So it was nice, two different ways to kind of do it. Um, it was great. It was, it was really cool. It really was. So Zelina immediately grabbed the chancleta from her mom and threw it at Rhea. Cole tried explaining it, which was just rough and unnecessary. Ripley easily caught Vega flying for a huge powerbomb and then choked her over her back. Zelina dodged uh, Ripley's shoulder first into the post, got a bunch of offense only to be stopped by a headbutt, but she countered Riptide into a tornado DDT and hit a 619 plus a flying Meteora with an Eddie Guerrero shake for a false finish. Zelina then went to take advantage only to eat a huge kick from Rhea plus a really powerful Riptide for the title retention in Siete Minutos. WWE let the finish linger and it kept the camera on Zelina for a thunderous post-match ovation that was so well-deserved and long overdue for her to get a moment like that. It was just really, really tough to not get emotional. And I kind of have like goosebumps right now just like talking about it. Let's not forget, okay? She got pulled out of that 9-11 show at Madison Square Garden where she was gonna honor her father. She was on the wrong side of Andrade requesting his release, which kind of left her with nothing to do. Then she got fired because she wanted to stand up to WWE and keep her cameo account. She got rehired and she's just never really gotten a chance to shine, even though, yeah, she had the women's tag team titles and she was in Queen's Crown, obviously, and one Queen's Crown, I should say. But this just stood out beyond all of that. And she didn't even win the match. It was so nice for her. But we can't grade it on how great it was for Zelina. The match was fine. It was more about the crowd, the storytelling, and the emotions than it was the wrestling, which is totally okay. There were a couple nice sequences. It went as it should have. Zelina rousing the crowd. Rhea looking dominant in her retention. Three stars B minus, but a five-star crowd reaction for this match. Yeah, uh, you know, what you wanted to get out of this was what Zelina didn't quite get out of Queen's Crown, which was longer match and a moment that we'll remember for a long time. We don't remember Queen's Crown tournament because the matches were so short and she won, but it didn't mean anything. She absolutely felt like a bigger deal through all of this. Um, coming out of it, coming into it, like she's a lot more established now than she was. I just wish they got a little bit more time. You know, like it, it, I wish this could have gone like 10 minutes. It, it, it felt like um, it, it never really felt like Vega was had much of a chance. And I know Rhea is dominant and that's, you know, the whole thing or whatever. But kind of just wish we got a little bit more out of it and allow Zelina to show a little bit more of what she can do. But overall, really good stuff. The result we expected. And now Rhea goes to Raw as the SmackDown champion. Right. And we'll figure that out on oh, Monday because oh, oh the camera cut to Vegas family like right after the pinfall which is kind of cold they were <laughs> not happy the, the, one of one eventually put out a thumbs down but they they looked really uh, upset and the camera cut to them so that was uh you don't normally get that but it was good 
Yeah, it was. And I think your point is solid about, could they have given it three or four more minutes? Like, yeah, they could have. But at the same time, I mean, we talked about it going in. Rhea Ripley is supposed to be a dominant champion. And she just beat Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania in a really big match to crown her this dominant women's champion in WWE. And you got Zelina Vega, who, look, in kayfabe, didn't necessarily deserve the title match. She didn't. She hasn't won shit. She hasn't really been a contender before. So the fact that she got seven minutes and this really big moment, again, in kayfabe, and lasted that long and and at least put her on her heels and got a false finish, you know, I think it's enough. I didn't have a problem with the match time. And you guys know I am a stickler for short women's matches. I don't like them. Um, But I was okay with it in this case. So moving over to the Raw Women's Championship match, Bianca Belair against Io Sky on SmackDown. Belair said she's proven that she shows up and shows out no matter what brand or country she's in. Both she and Michael Cole pointed out that winning at Backlash would make her the longest reigning women's champion of the modern era, tying the record on Saturday if she retains, and then obviously breaking it Sunday, but especially Monday on Raw. Damage control interrupted with Bailey putting over Io and saying she and Dakota Kai want the women's tag team titles. They attacked three-on-one with Belair obviously dominating for a good while until Io hit a springboard dropkick. Then the tag champions ran out, somehow wearing Io's famous black leather pants. Look good, but she's got me saying, hey now! And they made the save. I'm glad they gave us the data point about the title reign. I didn't realize it, honestly. And we talk about WWE talking about streaks and history and data points all the time. But Chris, the timing fully gave away what was already a relatively obvious match result. Like if they had said this a week ago or two weeks ago, then okay, you kind of forget about it. Then they remind you in the moment. But telling us like 24 hours before the match started, okay, obviously Belair is going to retain. I thought the segment was fine overall, a little bit formulaic, but it was executed well, building both the single storyline and the tag team storyline for next Friday night. And I got to say, despite the fact that this was a relatively short build. It's probably the best build that a Bianca Belair title match has gotten in like six or nine months. It was. And, and uh, to the point about acknowledging the length of the reign, uh, it's right at, it just, it says 400 plus on, on Wikipedia. So it's right around 400, I think. Becky Lynch's previous record reign for the Raw Championship was 398 days. I thought that today was 398 after. Saturday. I thought it yeah. was. Oh yeah. So I I I don't. I'm just going by what Wikipedia says. Mm-hmm. But she will not. She will not. Don't worry. Much like Roman Reigns, not catch the actual record, <laughs> which is fabulous right. Moolah, which which is either depending on how you look at it, like 36, 3800 days, or 10,000 days, uh, depending on whichever way you look at it. But yeah, no, it was a good build kind of coming up to this. All right, so as far as Backlash, this opened the show. EO entered on her own to her theme from back in NXT. And Michael Cole said, social media believes she's being held back by Bailey. Definitely the story they've been telling throughout TV over the last few weeks. She also got multiple loud chants. And I thought they were only going to be early in the match. She got them throughout the entire match and was the clear crowd favorite against Bianca Belair. Io rolled through KOD into a double stomp. Belair caught a tornado move cold into a backbreaker. Bianca then took Io off the top with a really sick one-handed press slam and then hit a handspring moonsault. Io used Bianca for an Escalera arm snap. 
and hit a springboard missile dropkick. She got knees up to block a 450 and locked in a crossface. Belair escaped, but EO countered a powerbomb into an X-Factor. EO came back with a Meteora, then rolled through KOD again, but Belair avoided the double stomp this time. EO escaped a third KOD and a perfect moonsault outside. Belair caught a top rope Huracarana with one arm, countering into an avalanche Liger bomb for a false finish. This brought damage control out. EO grabbed Bianca's braid on a distraction, only to get punched right in the face. Belair then used Sky's legs to knock Dakota Kai off the apron. EO countered KOD for a fourth time into another false finish. Bailey again tried to interfere. Belair just picked her up, threw her across the ring. EO hung Belair up on the middle rope, and Kai also nailed a kick. At this point, she's laying on the canvas, ready to take what seemingly was going to be EO's moonsault finisher. Bailey grabbed Bianca's braid and put it under her arm, under the bottom rope. So like in theory, the referee wouldn't see that she was holding her down. She laid prone. However, the referee did catch her and that prevent, uh, provided, I should say, enough of a delay that EO missed her moonsault. Belair immediately picked her up and hit the KOD por el uno, dos, tres. Straight up, this was, Chris, an exceptional wrestling match. Work rate was stellar. Booking was perfect because of the planned retention and storyline. The crowd reaction was top tier. The fans were with EO from her entrance all the way through the bell. Bianca did get occasional booze, but it was not protest booking like we used to get for John Cena. It, this was a main event star-making moment for EO, who I have said many times is the best female wrestler in the world, or at least right now in North America. Yes, you would have loved to have seen WWE take advantage of the crowd reaction with a title change, strapping a rocket to EO. But there was purpose in the loss for the damage control breakup, and it gave EO a clear excuse as she was on the road to beating Bel Air until damage control got involved and ultimately helped cost her the title. Really, they should be using this as a vehicle to both split damage control with EO obviously becoming a massive babyface while simultaneously turning Bianca heel. She needs a massive refresh and this is the perfect opportunity. The problem is she is so clearly the female John Cena when it comes to crowd reaction and her being a role model for little girls that it just may be impossible. If there was ever a time though, tonight or Friday on SmackDown, you turn her. This was 4.5 stars and an A. It went 18 minutes. This would have been an A-plus match in the territory if there was not significant interference late. As you can tell, I absolutely loved this. Yeah, this was everything it should have been. And no, EO shouldn't have won here because she had, has barely accomplished anything on the main roster. What this did is establish her mm -hmm. as one of the best women's wrestlers in the world, in the company, which they said beforehand, and then she followed through by doing it. And she got crowd cheers to go with her, so when she turns on Bailey or splits up with Bailey, you're going to have her be uh, a, a, a face for that. I got to say, the crowd cheering for EO and booing Bianca at times, I couldn't remember. What is, when is the last time we really got like a smarky crowd reaction like that, where they're cheering the heel and booing the face? like it was that doesn't have to do with somebody being from from the, from the town 
been a while since we got that kind of stuff. It really just like it also was like, hey, WWE has done a really good job of kind of directing fans in the way they want them to go for a very long time. And, you know, even when Roman and the bloodline get cheers, you know, it's you, you throw in a Sammy thing. So so there's reasons for them to boo again. This was full up. The crowd wanted Io to win this match. Mm-hmm. And so it was a reminder that, yes, once Io breaks free, she has the opportunity to be a huge baby face. But when Bianca turns heel, if she turns heel, oh, if they ever do it, it's gonna she be incredible. is going to be so, so good at this. She was good at this in NXT. And that was years ago when she was just getting started. Like, and she kind of like acknowledged the crowd in a healy way at the, at the end of it. I just couldn't think, man, if they do like a Roman Reigns type thing with her in, in turning her heel, it would do wonders for her. I just don't know if they're going to because she's so valuable to them as a face. There was, um, I was, I had USA Network on today or something, and, and they were showing a bunch of celebrities. It might have been the Kentucky Derby or something, just flashes of celebrities all over the place, movie stars, musicians. And one of the pictures was Bianca Belair and Montez Ford. And it was like, she is such a face of the company that, you know, I don't know if they'll do it in the same way that they did Roman eventually. I hope they do. They just also obviously need a face to be on that level. I don't know if EO can do that just from a promo standpoint, but there's a lot of opportunity with both of these women uh, moving forward. So everything in this match accomplished exactly what it was supposed to be. Belair would be an incredible heel. By the way, the Street Profits would be incredible heels. And we talked about this. There was that like one week or one night where it seemed like, are they going to turn all of them? And they just never did. And I don't know if it was a tease or it's just how it came across that night. But I want to just correct or at least give a different opinion on one thing that you said. Mm-hmm. I did not find that the boos for Bel Air and cheers for EO were necessarily smarky. It was more just people recognize how great EO is and were excited for her to be in this moment. And because Bel Air was the opponent, they were cheering for one and not cheering for the other. If you noticed, there were times where Belair, not when she like would do a single punch when they were going back and forth, that would be cheer boo, cheer boo. But when Belair had extended runs of offense, she was getting plenty of cheers. There were there was still a large segment oh, of the fan yeah. base that really liked her. But yeah, but yes, it, it Eo was clearly the favorite here. And to me, you know, Triple H has the book. I've said this numerous times. I know there's concern about Vince and all that. He has the book, and. If you are have a brain in your head and you watched what happened in Puerto Rico at Backlash, EO Sky has to be now the number one odds-on favorite to win money in the bank, period. Like, who else in the women's division right now gets as hot a reaction as she got now? I know it's Puerto Rico. I know it could be a one-off and we'll see what happens this Friday on SmackDown. But she could get a similar reaction when she turns on Bailey and Dakota Kai. And yeah, right now, you have a babyface champion on that brand in Bianca Belair. We've seen babyfaces cash in on babyfaces before. You do have Rhea Ripley over on Raw. You could have EO cash in on Ripley. That would be way too soon. I hope that would never happen. I, I, I am even angry that I put it out there in the universe. Or she could carry the briefcase for months upon months. And once Belair drops the title, 
maybe to Charlotte Flair at SummerSlam, which I hate to also put out there, but it really seems like that's what's going to happen. You could have EO cash in immediately after that for a massive pop on a huge stage. But Chris, for me, if there were any it would, ties, it would, it would, yeah. if there were any ties in the booking process where they're trying to determine who should win Money in the Bank for the women, I think EO Sky broke them all apart at Backlash. You put it out there, but like the point of every Charlotte title reign at this point is for somebody else to take it from for her to add a number and for someone else to win it after. Yeah. Another Charlotte has been cashed in on like five times Mm -hmm. or something like that. For that to happen again is totally. And, and every money in the bank cash in for the women is like the night of, or the, or the next Monday night on raw or the next SmackDown every single time. Yeah. So Take your time here. I would have EO win Money in the Bank, but she carries the briefcase for a while. And, a, and after a few months or even a long after a few months, because you want to break them up. She turns on Bailey like Sammy turned on Roman Reigns and hits her in the back with the briefcase like that. that that's what. I oh, would dude, do. I don't think we're waiting so, that long for the turn. I think that's happening no, soon. Yeah. One other thing about this match. I, I've never seen Bianca's hair so like disheveled like the braid it hair was like coming out of that we'd never seen that before oh interesting i don't don't remember and it and it added just kind of another level to the intensity of it yeah no it was awesome it was really really cool all right we got two more matches to go let's talk seth rollins and omas next uh rollins had a thunderous entrance he also got use of a drone camera they cut his music as soon as he got in the ring to pose so fans could sing his theme which seemed like it would never stop until omas straight up. I thought thought he kicked his head off his body. It was a perfect boot to the head. And this was extremely smart because they played off all of those clips that circulated on social media of Rollins getting serenaded in Europe where it went 10, 12 minutes. And you thought, oh, WWE is going to let the same thing happen in Puerto Rico, except Omas just kicks his head off his shoulders. Rollins got caught on a second tope suicida try and choke slammed into the ring apron. Something happened in the crowd that distracted the fans for a bit, but credit to them because they snapped right back into the match. Rollins chopped Omas down, but failed on a pedigree with Omas's knees on the canvas. Rollins banged Omas's head off the top of the ring post and hit a tornado DDT and a frog splash, only to get tossed off his body on a surprise one count. Omas blocked a stomp with hands on the canvas hit a choke slam for a 2.9 false finish. Rollins worked a sleeper, but ate a sidewalk slam. MVP tried to distract, but Rollins hit a stomp and a super kick on MVP, knocking him off the ropes, a stomp on Omas and a super kick on MVP. Then he had a second stop on Omas for a two count. Rollins came back with a flying super stomp and got the win. This was somehow everything it needed to be and more. Rollins promised on that promo two weeks ago on Raw to give Omos his best match in WWE. And guess what? The dude effing delivered. There were believable false finishes both ways. The crowd was insanely hot for Rollins himself. And WWE made sure to linger on him after the bell to capture that reaction, which is obviously important for the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament. There's not really much more to say. This could not have been better executed or better paced as it was second on the card in an appropriate position, went 10 minutes and 30 seconds. Chris, you've talked frequently about Omas having high upside, and we've seen like flashes of it occasionally. In this match, Seth Rollins got it out of him. To my utter shock, even though I love Rollins and I knew he'd give him a good match, I went 3.5 stars and a B. 
I, I just kept thinking if Omas had been booked better over the last month, three months, year, this would have been an incredible moment. Mm-hmm. Like this, this did everything you wanted to do. Omas looked great and strong. Seth Rollins looked smart and, and, and stepping up to the challenge. Everything about it was great. It's just Omas just doesn't mean anything to us. And, and, and that's that limits kind of how high you can take this. Mm-hmm. I continue to think Omas has a lot of potential. I, I've always felt he gets a lot of the little things right. He, he he has good timing. He has good movement. It's really the bigger wrestling type of things that he hasn't quite come around to yet. But more than anything, his booking outside of his debut, that match with him and AJ Styles against the New Day, mm-hmm. it's just they've never figured out the right way to handle him. And he's had these last two matches against Brock and Seth. He's looked strong in defeat. He's he's shocked both of those guys with how just strong and big and everything he is. He just doesn't have any wins of note underneath him. From this point, Seth had to win because the World Heavyweight Tournament's coming up next. But from this point forward, Omas needs to go on a winning streak, and it mm-hmm. needs to be a legitimate winning streak. And he can be the guy maybe to take the belt off of Seth by the fall or something like that. So th- this was a good step forward for everybody. Um, and, and hopefully maybe this can be something Omos can build off of. Imagine if instead of that nonsensical Brock Lesnar match at WrestleMania, they had done Brock Lesnar against Bobby Lashley as they should have and put Omos in a featured like, I don't know, fatal four-way match with other people who wouldn't have otherwise been on the show and he just demolishes them and pins one of them, obviously, and gets the win. And he's riding high, MVP's talking shit. Rollins steps up to him. They do this match, and Rollins beats him. Yeah, you could say, well, you gave him a big win, but then you just took his knees out, you know, with Rollins beating him. But at least he would have a win. Instead, he lost to Lesnar, and then he lost to Rollins. And it's just like, everything that you said is true. He showed more here than he ever has in WWE, but he also lost. And it's like, what do you do with this guy now? But I do think, Chris, that WWE here found the formula for Omos going forward. You put him up against guys who can go, like Rollins. Even if Omos wins many of those matches, which he probably should. Think about how Lesnar worked with AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan and how we would watch those matches at Survivor Series and think, wow, Brock can go. Because it was different, unique, and those guys not only sold for him, but he sold for them. It got them over. It got him over. Well, the same thing happened here. Omos looked like an absolute beast in this match because Rollins sold his ass off for him, and Rollins looked great taking him down. In this case, he didn't have a choice. Now, look, on this show, you guys know what we love. We love it when... Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight! But there are other ways to use big guys. And what they did here with Omos and Rollins should be the template for Omos matches going forward. Again, with the difference being him getting more wins than losses if they actually believe in him and want to do something with him. Him stopping the stomp by just being too strong was like incredible. And like if he had been built up better, that would have been just uh, people would have gone nuts for that. Mm -hmm. He just he needs... He needs all he needs right now is wins over legitimate people. 
He can win multi-man matches. He can beat big guys. He can beat jobbers, whatever. He needs to beat, like, world champion type of people who aren't Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, 100%. All right, let's move to the last match on the card. Uh, The United States Championship, Austin Theory against Bobby Lashley and Bronson Reed in a triple threat. The heels teamed up early, but Lashley destroyed both of them with big slams. He speared Theory for a broken fall. Reed then did a springboard splash onto Lashley's shoulder at ringside, which is a really sick spot. Theory pulled the top rope to prevent Tsunami. Lashley countered A-Town down into Hurt Lock, with Theory springing off the rope for a counter pin. Bronson immediately flew after the kickout for a Tsunami on Lashley for another broken fall. There was an endearing El Gordito chant for Bronson, which really popped me, and that that was not an insult. That was positive chant for him. Theory hit a rolling blockbuster on Reed and lifted him, but Reed countered A-Town down into a pulling power slam. Then Theory dodged a moonsault from Reed, who ate a spear from Lashley. Theory dumped Bobby out of the ring por el uno, dos, tres to retain the title in siete minutos as Lashley ran back inside. I never would have guessed this match was seven minutes if I didn't time it. It was like 12 to 15 minutes of action crammed into this really tight window. All three guys showed out. It was a total sprint. The Bobby Bronson work was way better than what it was on Raw. Theory was fantastic in this match. If WWE can get the character right for Reed, he has a chance to be a star because his two PLE matches have been terrific and gotten crazy crowd responses. And the booking here, it was completely predictable. Literally, we said this exactly would happen on the Ultimate Preview, but it was totally appropriate for the situation. It's a tough match to grade because of the time, but I'm at 3.75 stars and a B plus, much better than the time would suggest that it was. Yeah, I mean, credit to you. You called this exact thing. I think you said Bobby hits the finisher, Austin Derry throws him out and takes the pin. So you did, you did get that exactly right. I picked Bobby just to be different. Um, yeah, it was good. It was fun. It, it just everybody accomplished, you know, kind of what we thought. I just, to me, Austin Theory is just, He's just nothing right now, and they got to figure out something better to do with him. I think the title is not helping him. I think he's holding back the title at this point. Um, The U.S. title really needs to be freshened up. It's basically Mm -hmm. been on him or Bobby for a really long time now, and I'd really like to see that do something else, especially now that it's going to be the top weekly belt on SmackDown because if Roman's not there every week. So hope they can freshen some of that up, but everybody in this look good. Bronson reads a gamer. He steps up in the biggest matches um, and the result ultimately not a surprise. All right. Well, Chris, that wraps up the instant reaction for WWE backlash, which leads us to our post show grades, how we end all of these instant reaction episodes. First, a reminder of our pre-show expectation grades. You were at a B. I was at a B plus and our listeners, the getting overheads in our Twitter poll voted 27% A. 62% B, 11% C, 0% D or F. That averages out to an 87 out of 100, which is just barely on the B plus line. So I'm going to consider that right between us because I was at a high B plus. You were at a B. So they were splitting the difference, let's say, between our grades for the show. Now, when it comes to the post show grades, you always get the opportunity to go first. So, Chris, what was your final grade for WWE Backlash? B plus, high B plus, like 89 B plus. Um, I, I, I did I did think the Bad Bunny 
situation had a chance to very much over deliver and push that up. And it absolutely did. Again, five stars for everything involved in that. Nothing on this show was bad. A lot of it was really good. Bianca Eel Sky was great. Uh, the the Bad Bunny stuff was great. All the other stuff was pretty good. The story in the six man was really good. Ultimately, when I look back on the show, what am I going to think about? I'm going to think about everything involving Bad Bunny. I'm going to think about Zelina Vega's entrance. I'm and I guess I'll think about a bloody Brock Lesnar. Um, so that's EO? pretty good. Yeah, I mean it was a great match, but it, but it's I'm not. There wasn't like a moment in that that I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna think about that when I think about this. Okay. Um, so it's it's real close in that B plus A minus. Um, to me, if you take out the bad bunny thing, it's probably a B for me. But that that pushes it up to a, a high B plus for me. I feel, and I could be wrong, that you're kind of couching your grade because you're embarrassed that you said it was a B, and I told you how wrong you were going to be. By, by the way, to the listeners, uh, Silver King texted me during the show, quote, quote marks in B. <laughs> he was totally offended that I that, that I rated the show a B and thought I was completely wrong. You were. You were and completely wrong. after you texted that, basically after you texted that, it was, um, it was, I think it was during the six man, which was like, okay. And then the main event to me again. It wasn't was okay. Event. It was very freaking good. This is why I'm saying I you're couching the entire grade. Look, here's the deal. The, the, this was show was way better than a B show. Like whether it's a B plus high B plus quote unquote, 89, a minus a, no matter what you say, it, you, we, we, when the conversation that we had on the ultimate preview, this is what I'm getting at. What I said was just like many of the WWE premium live events used to be called pay-per-views during the pandemic, you come in with low expectations because the card maybe isn't amazing, but it's going to over-deliver. And for you, you're saying it's slightly over-delivered. I think it way over-delivered a B grade. I don't think it way over. I, I, I didn't say slightly. I went from I went from like an 85 to an 89. That's a pretty big okay. jump. I think it was better than that. Uh, Look, here's the deal. I, it, 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 would, it, would, it, would, it, would, it would flip over to a 90, A minus, if Bad Bunny was the main event. I just, again, I just, I didn't. What does that matter though? I, like, because I ended the show with kind of a ugh, weird feeling in my mouth and everybody remembers the finish. Okay. Well, to each their own, you are at a B plus for your post-show grade, which clearly the Silver King thinks is a little bit ridiculous. Although I'm not really not that far off <laughs> to be, to be clear, but I am four, again, <laughs> but I am four percentage points off because I think this was barely, just barely shy of an A show. I went full A minus 93 out of 100. You had the Bad Bunny match, which was obviously fantastic. Again, I went through these matches and it's, I don't, when I grade, I don't, it's not just a compilation of like my individual match grades, but I didn't have anything below three stars. Uh, and that was just the Zelina Vega match with Rhea Ripley. Everything else was 3.5 or better. Rollins got the best match we've ever seen out of Omos. The women's match was incredible. The Bad Bunny match was incredible. I loved the Cody Lesnar match. The finish was sudden, yeah, but that doesn't make mean it wasn't a good match. It was very smartly booked. The six-man, the action was great. It wasn't the most exciting match, but we got huge storytelling elements in it. The U.S. title match, I think, over, uh, over-delivered as well. So I thought this was a fantastic show. I'm giving it 93 oh, out of 100, A minus. It wasn't an A show, but I mean, this crowd, the atmosphere, 
uh, the delivery of, again, over exceeding expectations on a near every match basis. Even Cody and Brock, I think was way better than I ever expected it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like a 3.25 star, like middling match where it was just a lot of like finishing moves and stuff. It was a banger, I thought. I mean, again, you may not have loved the finish. I thought it was awesome. So I'm at an A minus, uh, high A minus. You're at a B plus. What uh, percentage did you say? 89. So you're at the top of a B plus. Okay, that's a little bit better. Let's get to what our listeners, the getting overheads, had to say. Uh, 69, hey now, 0.2% said the show was an A. 27.6% said the show was a B. And 2.7% said the show was a C, and then 0.5%, so two voters maybe, I guess, said D or F, which of course is ridiculous. So allow the Silver King a moment to calculate that total. To be clear, I did really, really like this show. And it's, it's interesting because you're pointing out the crowd, the moments, all these things. These are the things that I love in wrestling. I absolutely did love the show. I don't want you spreading these this word that I didn't like the show or whatever. Well, if you I'm get really to spread really that I don't like LA Knight, then I get to spread that you clearly didn't like this show. You didn't like LA Knight. For, for a very short period of time. And then he corrected it. And I'm glad we're stalling here because it's giving me time uh, to do the math. I know, that's what I was um, doing. But I, I will tell you, and the math is not easy. Uh, I do a whole calculation here. Um, I'm sure that that sounds like an A minus to me. Yeah, it is. It sounds uh, like it's probably going to be a high, high minus close. To it's me. very close to me. Yep. It is a 92.25. So not quite a 93, yeah. but yes, they are siding closer to me than you uh, with an A minus final grade from the listeners are getting overheads for the show. By the way, let me say this. We agree so much on this podcast. Like if you're a first time listener, a lot of the episodes are Chris and I go, oh, we agree about this. We'll have slight differences and nitpicks and whatever. This is the most contentious episode we've had in a long time, and I kind of liked it. I don't think it's contentious. I do. You were just so offended that I gave the, the pre-show. The I was. I was offended that the initial thing was a B. Yeah, I was. Yeah. More offended than that. You, I, I, I was more offended that you gave it a B than I am that you gave the post-show a B plus. B plus is fine. It's acceptable. Yes. But yes. I was I was offended at the I B. I said bad, but I am. Bad Bunny up for match of the year. I love this show. Yeah, that's yeah. It's just I just disagree, you know. But it's fine. Um, look, I had fun. I hope everyone had fun listening to us. That's what, why we do these uh, podcasts in general. But of course, the what, instant reaction what? as well. Go ahead. What you what you got? One other thing I wanted to put at the end of the show, they did a music video recap. Yes, the show with just like old school show again. They did that after they did that after the Rumble. I don't know about Elimination Chamber. They did it. They didn't do it after Mania, um, but they did it here. And I loved it. It was uh, the song was uh, won't be stopped by alibi music. I something uploaded on YouTube this year. I don't know. But I I really liked that uh, ending music video. It really honestly puts a good kind of feeling at the end of a show, even if you don't like the last match. So um, I'm glad WWE has been doing those more. I just I think they're great little highlight videos at the end of the match and props to the videotape for turning those things around during the show it's got to be incredibly difficult like kind of like one uh, one shining moment stuff so um I, I really liked that video at the end i wanted to shout that out i'm trying to remember if it was a wwe premium live event or literally one shining moment but in the last like two, i think it was a wwe premium live event i'm almost positive it was wrestlemania i think you might actually be wrong that they did do these at wrestlemania or at least for one of the nights uh, wwe released a video showing how they put this together throughout the show and at the end of the show. And it is very interesting. I mean, you clearly understand there's a bunch of editors. They put clips, 
they piece them together. Yeah. But the timing, the I think they said it was like one minute or 45 seconds before it played on air that it was actually completed and uploaded to where it needed to get uploaded. It's very tough for them to accomplish. Kudos to them. The one tonight was great. And it is such a you know, nostalgia, 1990s, 2000s thing where you watch the whole pay-per-view, you wait until the screen goes black, and then you get, or before the screen goes black, you get that full recap of all the highlights, just kind of putting a bow on the night. And usually they use yeah. a similar version of that to kick off the next TV show, which of course will be Monday Night Raw on May 8th. Speaking, Chris, of what's coming up next, this is how you do a transition when you host a podcast. The next edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast will come not Monday, but Tuesday. It will be the next WWE show. We will be discussing fallout from WWE Backlash, the quick build to Night of Champions, which is coming at the end of the month. And we will also be covering the first half of the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament with two quarterfinal triple threats and a semifinal match all going down Monday on Raw. Now that you've listened to this episode, it's possible you may have missed a little bit of what we discussed this week at Getting Over. Our WWE Backlash Ultimate Preview episode also included a full breakdown of the WWE Draft. So if you missed it, go to that episode, find the timestamp, and listen to that WWE Draft breakdown. I also sat down with Santos Escobar of the LWO and Legado del Fantasma for a one-on-one interview. We've gotten a lot of very kind comments about that interview. If you missed it, make sure you go back and listen to it. And of course, we also have our NXT and AEW episode from last Thursday. But again, do not forget, we will be back on Tuesday with our next WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. On the way out, allow me to run through some reminders. First, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do you get episode drops, news analysis highlights, all that stuff, but you get to participate in our pre and post show polls, which you just heard here on the podcast. And you get to join us live for Twitter spaces shows completely free. Once again, on Twitter at getting overcast, you can remember that the silver King happens to love a particular number. I happen to love the number five and you can contribute $5. You can buy us a coffee, a beer, buy us a meat over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. If you decide that you want to say a little thank you for these instant reaction podcasts and everything else we do at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, you can also subscribe and be a official Getting Overhead with a membership, uh, bonus shows, news posts, and a lot more. Anyone who already subscribes can tell you the news posts are extremely accurate as you would hope they would be. And the bonus shows, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling at the end of every major TV show throughout the week. Lastly, do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about Defy. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, drop those five-star ratings on Apple, leave a five-star written review, and if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Vintage Chris Vanini for joining this contentious edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I'm just kidding. It was a blast breaking it down with Chris. Once again, as I said, we will be back on Tuesday. At this point, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. Bye for now.